Good evening and welcome to another episode of Bach and Bios. I'm your host, Jason Spies. On this episode, we talk to Amanda Person, paleontologist for Beaver Creek Archaeology. And this interview is brought to you by The Crude Life. When you want to make money the crude way, contact The Crude Life. If you have a project that requires a crude approach, then contact The Crude Life. Visit their website at www.thecrudelife.com. And now back to our interview, Bach and Bios. Tonight's guest, Amanda Person, paleontologist with Beaver Creek Archaeology. Beaver Creek Archaeology. That's right. I am the paleontologist. So archaeologists work with anything that's cultural, anything having to do with human habitation. And paleontologists, what I do, deal with everything before humans came on the scene. So all life up to humans. So paleontology is associated with dinosaur bones? Yes, dinosaurs. And of course, uh, we have a lot more invertebrates, so clams and all that, all that sort of Oh. Invertebrates, um, especially in the Bakken, um, we have a lot of that more so than, than vertebrates. Than, but we also do have dinosaurs in, in North Dakota as well. I would imagine with Lake Agassiz here, there was there'd be a lot of that uh, invertebrates, but also, yeah, you mentioned the triceratops, I guess, and those types of things. Yes. The Lake Agassiz, uh, th- that... Um, What's the timeline on the invertebrates versus the dinosaurs, I guess? I'm not even familiar. Which came first? Well, well, way before Lake Agassiz was even, um, you know, before the glaciers came and all of that, the sort of during the Cretaceous time when dinosaurs were here, um, North Dakota was covered by an inland sea. It was called the Western Cretaceous Western Interior Seaway. And so we have a lot of, a lot of fish fossils, a lot of mosasaurs, which were large marine reptiles. They're not dinosaurs, um, but they lived at the same time of dinosaurs. Um, and we have um, a lot of the invertebrates um, and all of, like very large sea turtles. Um, and a lot of that is sort of in the western or the eastern part, part of the state because the western part of the state was not covered by the seaway. So there's a lot of sort of east and west have a lot of different fossils. Any sharks? Yes, lots of sharks. Sharks have been around since the dinosaur yes, days, right? Yes, since the Devonians for a long time. Sharks have been around for a long, long time. <laughs> I'm sorry, the who? Do they live in Watford City? <laughs> the Devonians? <laughs> that time period. <laughs> uh, and where are you from? I'm originally from Richmond, Virginia. Uh, what what brings you North Dakota way? Well, I did my graduate. I have a master's degree in paleontology, which I got from the South Dakota School of Mines and Technology in Rapid City, South Dakota. And I met my husband there, and we traveled around a little bit, had jobs other places, and then he's originally from Bismarck, so we moved back in 2008. Uh, we're on in the Black Hills. How was it down there? When, when did you live there? What time periods? Um, I started grad school in Rapid City in 1998. I'm just oh, so aging it's... myself. Um, and graduated in 2001. So. And you were 12 years old when exactly. you went to college? Exactly, yes. I got my master's degree at the age of 13. <laughs> Uh, what, have you heard anything about the uh, Tyler Formation or any of the uh, uh, activity down in the uh, Black Hills at all? I have not. I don't know sort of oil-wise what's going on. Um, but, you know, in, in the Black Hills, there's um, a lot of the Morrison Formation. And I've worked on several digs in South Dakota of where dinosaurs were found in the Morrison Formation. So, Let's talk about uh, Beaver Creek archaeology a little bit. Um, what is it that Beaver Creek does now? You're we, a paleontologist. That's right. And, and the word archaeology is involved. Yes. But so um, Beaver Creek archaeology works very closely with the tribes, with 
public lands and with oil companies. So essentially, when an oil company has um, a pad that they want to put in or an access road or a flow line, we're one of the first people that comes in. The archaeologists do um, cultural resource surveys, so we'll go actually on the ground and walk across the well pad and look for cultural resources. So if there are any, we then work closely with the client to try and mitigate, move the pad. Um, in North Dakota, there's a lot of stone features, so stone rings and stone cairns, and that's not something a lot of them are sacred sites. That's not something that we can move. We can't move the site, so we will move the pad. And so usually it's only a few hundred feet, and it works very well with the, the client. The company can move the well pad with very little problem because no construction has even begun by this time. And so we work very closely with the tribes, and a lot of this is done on public land, so BLM, Forest Service, that sort of thing. Or any land, any private land that has, that has um, public minerals. Is this uh, th three the tribes we work affiliated? With. We work with all, so all of oh, the tribes. Oh, you said it's owned. Oh, yes, our owner is Comanche. So he's no kidding. Yeah, I didn't know that. Yeah, okay. and Christina is actually married to him, so she's Norwegian and he's Comanche. So, <laughs> do they have kids? They do not. Oh, <laughs> well, here's holding out. <laughs> your business, your industry, your profession is a lot different than a lot of these other guys. Yes. How are you viewed? Are you a good guy? A bad guy? Are you hugged? Are you welcomed in? I don't know. I think a lot of a lot of companies have to jump through a lot of hoops mm -hmm. and and as part of the permitting process um it's sort of the, the 106 compliance is what we work on it's a, a federal law that the survey has to be done for cultural resources and and our sort of slogan is progress meets preservation so we want our main concern we have two main concerns i feel that are equally weighted it's to get the client in to their project and also to preserve any cultural resources so that's why we're not we very much want to, wherever you want your well pad, that'd be great. We're going to try and make that happen. And if we need to move by a couple hundred feet, then, you know, it's pretty close to where you want it to be to begin with. But that preserves a, a previously recorded site or a site that we find when we do the survey. So we're, our main goal, of course, is to get the client in and also to preserve what's already there. What's the most common finding you have? In North Dakota, it's a lot of stone features. So we have stone rings. They used to be called teepee rings. Now they're stone circles. We're not really sure necessarily what they, a lot of them could have been sacred sites. Some of them could be for a living, like a campsite. Um, we also have a lot of stone cairns, which could mark a grave site or also just sort of as a navigational tool. So, is, is there a way a layman can know what that is? Well, you know... I think stone rings are hard unless it's very obvious. Like if the grass is high, it would be hard to see. Mm -hmm. um, but there are some sites, especially in North Dakota, where you can stand on a hilltop and see a, like 20 stone circles. Like you would know that that's not a natural outcrop of rock. And so you would, you know, if you saw that, you would know that that is something cultural. Most unusual finding you've had since being in North Dakota? Um, I spent five years working on... Um, in the North Dakota Geological Survey before I started with Beaver Creek. Um, I've spent five years working on a dinosaur that has preserved skin. So technically a dinosaur mummy. Uh, it was a natural mummy, of course. And this was found um, in Marmoth, which is in the southwestern part of the state. It's part of that sauerkraut triangle. Mm -hmm. 
Yes. So I've been I had worked on that for five years, and that's actually going to be on display at the new Heritage Center in Bismarck, which is going to be opening hopefully this spring. So they have an expansion, and there's a, a place for this. It's a very large fossil; it's several tons. So we need to have a, a lot of space in which to display it. What preserved it? There's a lot. There's a lot of theories, and a lot of actually a lot of people are doing research on that fossil. Um, one of the things I think of um, that's interesting. Arsenic is a preservative, and there's a lot of arsenic in the groundwater in Marmoth. So I don't know if that was the case when this dinosaur died, or a lot of what probably what happened is it died and was covered in probably the same event, or very shortly after it died. There's no evidence of predation, so it hadn't rotted at all. It hadn't been pulled apart by scavengers. There's there's really it's just perfect skin that has since been replaced by minerals, so it's now rock. But we've taken thin, thin sections, so we've chipped off parts of the skin and taken thin sections, and there's some researchers working on whether or not you can tell if, you know, if there were colorations, you know, if, the, if the different size scale equals different color. So it's sort of, there's a lot of different research being done on that. It, it wasn't like a flash freeze or a Pompeii-like event? No, like no. Back when Krakatoa went off the last time, <laughs> 680 million years ago or whatever? No, it was not a volcanic event. Um, it's interesting that all the um, the matrix, that was just a fancy word for the rock that's around it, all the dirt, the, the matrix that we're cleaning off is all the same, like, grain size. So it's all a small grain sandstone. So it was probably sort of a flash flood event that just deposited, maybe got deposited in like the turn of a stream or something and just got covered up very fast at the same time. Is that unusual to have skin? It is. There's only six known dinosaur mummies in the world. One is actually on display at the American Museum in New York City. Um, and, and so there's one, there's several different ones and they all have names because, you know, you got to name your dinosaurs. <laughs> What was it like telling your contemporaries that you were going to become a paleontologist when uh, they were probably getting more into the tech world? Yes, and engineering. Yep, yeah. a lot of my friends in college were engineers. So I, I would have, I don't imagine there was too many from your class probably that got, went into paleontology. No, and a lot of people because you know I went to college and I started college in '93, and that's about the time that Jurassic Park came out, and everybody was really interested in that, but. You know, it was, a lot of people were thinking about it, which, of course, real paleontology is nothing like that movie. But still, it brought a lot of people to start thinking about paleontology as a career. Um, but a lot, of my, a lot of my contemporaries were much more sort of not quite scientific for that in that respect. But. Truth comes out, you're a film buff. Huh? Yeah, that's, yes. that's what it is. Okay. <laughs> well, um, the final question. It's an easy one. Um, Amanda Person? Yes. Uh, what do you want people listening to walk away from, uh, from Beaver Creek archaeology and yourself as a paleontologist? What, what do you want people that are listening today to walk away from knowing that you want them to know? Um, Beaver Creek archaeology is a company that is definitely on the side of oil companies. We're trying very hard to, to have the progress happen, but we also want to do it in a way that's not going to harm anything cultural or paleontological. So we have a lot of agreements with a lot of different people, and we try very hard to make your project go as quickly as possible. Thank you very much, Amanda. You're welcome. And that was Amanda Person, paleontologist with Beaver Creek Archaeology. To listen to the full-length interview or other Bakken bios, visit our website at buildingthebakken.com. 
Com. like to remind you that that interview is sponsored by The Crude Life. When you want to make money the crude way, contact The Crude Life. If you have a project that requires a crude approach, then contact The Crude Life. Visit their website at www.thecrudelife.com. And that concludes this episode of Bach and Bios. Thank you for listening. I'm your host, Jason Spies. Jason Spies.